representing the author of songs we are singing, Guided Tours to the Beatles' Lesser Known Tracks, and I'm also the co-host of a new podcast called Toppermost the Poppermost, and for some reason a lot of people like to call me the Queen, and okay, uh, I'm Kiddo <laughs> All right, so let's get to our uh, topic for today, which is, as I mentioned, the year 1973, and boy, was it a big year, right? Uh, all four uh, had uh, releases that year. We had uh, from uh, Paul McCartney the release, of course, of the My Love single, Red Rose Speedway, um, and the at the end of the year, oh, and Little Let Die. Uh, at the end of the year, of course, Band on the Run from uh, John. We had. Uh, uh, Wine games, and uh, also, of course, very important to note, uh, John and Yoko uh, declared uh, utopia. You know, we, got, we can't leave that out, but just kidding. Um, and <laughs> for George, we had Living in the Material World, um, and uh, and then, uh, oh, of course, I forgot to mention one of my favorites, the Wounds of the Helen Wheels single. Um, and uh, Ringo, of course, came out with his magnificent Ringo album. Uh, just a few uh, of the uh, releases of that year. So let's talk a little bit about where all four of them were at this point um, as they were recording these albums. Um, so let's let's start with uh, with Paul. Um, uh, Tom, since you are, of course, the resident Paul expert, <laughs> um, you know where where was Paul in 1973 as as he was working, you know, particularly on Red Road Speedway, and you know where where was he personally, professionally, and at the Yeah, I, I think you know as as we learned as we learned from the, the wonderful McCartney Legacy book. You know, he wanted to create this, this this band and and make it a band, and not just the Paul McCartney and my band show. So, uh, you know, I think at that point in time, it was important for him to to make the public see that this it's it's just not him that he can carry on on his own, but also work well with others, which uh, we we learned that maybe he didn't do. So much, so much with his other band, but but the, the fact is, is I, you know, he was. I think he was starting to get in a good place. I think he was starting to find some confidence. I think that you know, the Alan Klein thing, the dust on that was starting to settle. He was actually talking about maybe working with the, the others uh, in '73, and uh, I think he was finding himself in a good spot. I mean, obviously the, the, the double album didn't happen like he was hoping to, but. Uh, the, the album was a success, and you, you know the success with Live and Left Eye. I think, I think, and then that, that all that confidence rolling into Band on the Run. I, I think this is where he started to come into his own. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, Ken, you wrote uh, a terrific book uh, with Jason Kruba called "All Things Must Pass Away," uh, about the making of all things must pass, um, and uh, and. Eric Clapton's uh, Layla. Um, what about George at this point? He, of course, was finished. Uh, you know, all things was passed, was, was done. And so now he's working on living in the material world. And what, where do you think he was at this point in 73? 
Well, you know, at this point, he's, uh, he's already released living in the material world, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, I'm making sure I'm checking yes. out my kid. My kid, also a So, you know, George is in an interesting spot, and uh, here we are, inches away from where Patty Boyd will be in a few minutes, and, and I spoke with her recently at length about it. 1973, and of course the problematic nature of that year for them, their marriage, and um, you know George is on the downside of a of a wonderful opening period in his solo career with all things in his past and living in the material world. You know, two number one singles. Um, he is uh, he's been on top of the world, and um, he is uh, he's now returning to substance abuse after years of being generally clean. Um, he, of course, is on a trajectory for 1974, where he needs to again for the Dark Horse Tour. Um, and uh, speaking of, of Jason, he and I are working on a book called Beatles 74, about the last year in the partnership. And uh, one of those subjects that will receive a lot of attention will be that 1974 tour. Anybody go to that? Yeah, and uh, of course, we're, we've spoken to hundreds of people soon to talk to these two, if you know what you're doing. And, uh, it's amazing how many people for this Believer tour just loved it. Um, wow. Are you one of them? Well, I was a bit disappointed only because I didn't really hear George's vocals. Ah. Maybe it was the mix. I went to the Nassau Coliseum on Long Island. I could hear the band really well. The band was great. Billy Preston was the highlight for the show. <clears throat> Such a showman. But I didn't really hear George's vocals enough to say, wow, he's really hoarse. But um, I love the performance. I just wish I had heard George more. And obviously, a milestone simply to even be there, mm. uh, as you know. So um, George is—he's uh, in a muddled place, you know. At this time, there's there's no two ways about it. He, uh, at this point, as maybe most people know, the only two people really championing the idea of the dream of Apple are George Harrison and Mal Evans. Um, you know, certainly McCartney's doing his own, his own thing, as Tom said, um, and he's, of course, preparing to unleash a juggernaut, um, and, you know, and clearly uh, John is, is trying to come back from, from Monty Gates, but uh, it's Mal and George who are really still bringing in new acts, still recording them, um, still trying to find acts and keep that wonderful, uh, the Apple dream alive, so he's... He's hard at work on that. His studio's up and running, the, uh, the one at Friar Park. So that's where he is. Yep, so very, very busy time uh, for George. Personally, Isn't that kind of the amazing part of all of this? Yes. Uh, these guys don't take breaks. <laughs> you know, it's uh, that workaholism. Work workaholism. <laughs> close enough. <laughs> that close enough. I mean, we're following English majors. <laughs> <laughs> we are. We really are. Uh, that's what we do. So, but, but they're workaholics, right? I mean, does George have to be working with Splinter? And <laughs> hell no. <laughs> but he is. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Now, Joe, you are a John guy. I mean, not just well, a John guy, but but you're you know, but but you're you're John Van and. and uh, so this is the era of mind games, of course, as you know. So, so where do you think, you know, where is John in, in 70, uh, 73 at, uh, at this point? 
Well, I always think, you know, you had uh, John first coming out swinging pretty good, having a, the classic, emotional John Lennon plastic Ono band, LP, which is really fantastic, and I think it's probably his greatest singing that he ever did on there. Uh, I think he had such personal topics and pain and stuff like that. Um, then after that, he had Imagine, which is kind of the same kind of thing, only a, a more commercial, you know, I think, you know, uh, it worked better for him that way. People could swallow it a lot easier, maybe, but he used to say it was like, oh, it's just Mother with the Mother album with chocolate on it. Right, but he was doing. He, he, he was doing real, really well, music-wise. Uh, and then, of course, sometime in New York City, right, 1972, which I think is underrated, but a little bit. But don't go by me. I'm a fan. Uh, let's hear it for anybody. You know, it's quiet. I think it was pretty quiet. But anyway, so I, I don't go. And then, of course, you know, he did the one-to-one -one in 72, the uh, benefit concert for Children of Willowbrook. And, uh, you know, the, the concert kind of had him out there for Madison Square Garden, the people say. But I think about 73, you know, he started, I think he started to have some problems with Yoko. And also, musically, trying to make, dare I say the word, I can't think of it. Come back word, I don't know. Come back, maybe with Mind Games, uh, Mind Games album. And I think that Mind Games was such a fantastic uh, single. We should have gotten higher in the charts. Really, really good. It's my favorite uh, probably single. And his next day, it's Karma. But I think with the Mind Games album, he's trying to, I don't know, kind of come back, maybe relying on more easygoing stuff that people might be able to relate to, with a few exceptions of sloganeering, like with uh, Leon and Lucy, uh, Free the People, which is a, a good song, a little political in there, and of course, uh, Tight Ass, you know, stuff like that, Meat City. But I just think John's trying at this point to get back to having a little more of a more acceptable style. Maybe he was kind of really shaking up a little bit of the lackluster reception that uh, sometime in New York City got, right? So I think that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to, to get back in, in his chart-wise anyway, music-wise, trying to find a more happy medium. That's what it feels like to me when I'm listening to the Mind Games album, which I enjoy so much. But to me, you know, it, it's not quite the heights of the first two albums or even Walls and Bridges afterwards, is my opinion. Okay, all right, we'll get back to that in uh, in a minute, but I, before we get to that, I want to, of course, let's talk about Ringo, and Ken, you know, we, it, it, you know you've seen our show many times, I assume you have since you're here, uh, we're, we're big Ringo champions on, uh, on our show, and uh, we, of course, and I'm sure you all too, love the Ringo album. Um, it's, 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 it's Ringo! Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, 50th anniversary edition. Yeah, that's it. Let's hope so. 50th anniversary. I'm, I'm, I'll be there in line to buy it. Yeah, um, so. yeah mutterings. Yeah, there you go. So, uh, so Ken, um, where was Rio at this point uh, that, that, you know, led him to record uh, uh, Ringo because he was he had been away from recording for a little bit uh, before this. Right. Before I answer that, I just want to add one thing to what Joe said, which I think is really important about John. 
is that because the immigration authorities were after him at that time, and the response he got to some time in New York City, I think he really had to tone it down with his, with his political beliefs at the time, and that's part of why I think Mind Games was more closer to what Imagine was, more of that approach. Um, Ringo, it's interesting, Ringo started off his career with two solo albums that were completely different, Anomal Standards and Anomal Country Music, which these days is a lot of, you know, country album. Um, and he also had a movie career going, but the most successful thing that he had done prior to the Ringo album were the two singles that he released in 1971 and 72, Don't Come Easy and Back Off And even though I love those first two albums from Ringo, Sentimental Journey and Blues, you can't help but, you know, recognize the fact that it Don't Come Easy has become a classic. It was a number four hit in the country. Uh, Back Off Boogaloo also went top ten. And so Ringo decided that it was time to make a pop rock album. And, um, and also, he's always battling, you know, between the music and the films. What do I do? Because he still had a huge interest in making films. So he got together his friends, the other Beatles, and other really talented people, members of the band, Nicky Hopkins, Klaus Foreman, all those people. And he also worked with Vinnie Pontio, who I think was a really good songwriter for them in the 70s. And together they wrote All My Mind, which became a top ten album. But... The ten songs on the Ringo album were really superb, and as much as I will always champion Ringo's years from Time Takes Time On as being, you know, amongst the best of his solo career, you cannot deny the greatness of the Ringo album. Um, the other Beatles knew how to write for him, and when George and Ringo wrote together, like they did on Photograph, we just voted it on our show as the best solo Beatles single of all time, other number ones, anyway. And George played a huge part in the success of the Ringo album because he played on its four tracks. I'm the Greatest, he's on Sunshine Night for Me, Photograph, and You and Me Baby. So, and also you gotta give Mal Evans a little bit of credit. Let's give a little plug here as we get ready for Ken's book. For uh, co-writing You and Me Baby with George Harris. But, um, and John wrote I'm the Greatest, which is a fine track, good opening track, perfect for Ringo. And um, Paul wrote, I think, one of the best songs Ringo's ever done, Six O'Clock. But you also have all the other material on there. So it was a very solid album. And because he was still riding on the success of the two other singles, which helps, he had that momentum, it helped Photograph to become the number one hit that it was, and then You're 16, which went to number one as well, and then Oh My My, it's out to hit. So Ringo was in a really good place. For the first time he made a pop rock album, and that also became, for him, for the most part, the format he was to follow. An album with 10 songs, get my best friends on there, if I can, get some of the Beatles on there. And that's what he continued to do. I would add, and, and this is the reason why I can't wait for that 50th anniversary edition, of course, we know You and Me, Babe, mm. uh, which is an enormous uh, success for Mal, because it meant he got a big piece of the mechanical royalties of that album. Mm. So. All of this business about Mal having no money in the 70s <laughs> is simply not true. Um, and in fact, the Beatles were still paying him at that point and would until their partnership was officially defunct. Um, but having said all that, it wasn't the only Mal Evans song recorded for that album. There was a second track that Mal had written. It was one of the first that Ringo sang 
during the sessions, and uh, I am anxious to hear that version, <laughs> to say the least. Uh, both of those songs Mal had had for a long time. George simply helped him finish um, You and Me Babe. Those are actually some lyrics he started writing back, I think, in Rishikesh. Uh, Mal did uh, while he was meditating one day, and well, he couldn't quite keep track of his mantra, so he needed something to do, and he began writing the lyrics of that song. Um, but uh, I'm very anxious for this uh, this version, and I have yet to find anyone who really has any good uh, outtakes uh, beyond songs that essentially sound like the finished versions uh, on the Ringo LP. So do you have the lyrics to that for your book? The lyrics of for, for this ballad song? Oh, I do. <laughs> I do only because Mal wrote them in a journal in a diary entry. And, uh, and then he kept notes of all the sessions. So we have yellowed notepaper where he wrote who played on what. I believe Klaus Roman was on it. Uh, Ringo did lead vocals. Uh, Lon and Derek Van Eaton yes. um, have confirmed that they were there. And I spoke to Bill Schnee, and he, he remembers recording the song too. So I am anxious to hear it. That's going all over, aren't we? Yeah, we can't spell that yet. I thought we were talking about the box set. That's what I remember. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think we're all like very excited for for your book. But yes, the 50th anniversary box set. Bring it on! Let's, I want that. Let's do this. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, so I think it's fair to say that this was you know really pivotal year, personally and professionally for for all four. Um, now let's turn to something um, that uh, Tom you brought up uh, just the other night. Uh, when we were at the pub, and <laughs> so this is going to be might be a little controversial, but but that's what we're about. We love talking, but we love the dating stuff. So, um, Tom, you were talking about Red Rose Speedway, and you were saying, um, and, and correct me if I'm wrong. Uh oh, <laughs> that you felt it really wasn't like a, a real Wayne's album. Well, the finished product. The, the finished product. So uh, I'd like you to you know, expand more on that. Well, obviously, there's no vocals from anybody else, right? There's there's no Seaside Woman. There's there's nothing from Denny. If Paul is dominating all of the vocals, obviously, that's what EMI wanted. They didn't want a double album. They wanted a, a Paul record. Unfortunately, it goes from Wings to Paul McCartney in Wings. So... In that sense, you know, for me, looking back at it, you know, I get the sense that it's, it's, it's Paul's machine, it's Paul's puppy. Yeah, he wants it as a band, but yet he can't get away from the fact, from, whether it's from EMI or, or other, other factions, that don't want him to have this band just yet. They want to see success. They want to see records selling. Wildlife doesn't sell. Right? I mean, the, the, you know, High, High, High does fine. Mary Had a Little Lamb maybe doesn't do as well. Um, give my or give Island back to the Irish. Those three singles they do fine, but they're not um, you know number ones. They're not top fives, uh, right? So I mean, the success leading up to Red Rose Speedway is probably not where he wants it. Not like the number one album with McCartney, number two with Ram. So he's not seeing this success yet. However, he's not almost in a way not allowed to have this album as his vision, as you know all you know as the sum. You know, the, the sum is greater than the parts. Well, here he is. He's the part and the sum as well. <laughs> okay, so let, let's let's unpack this, Tom. <laughs> 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 yeah. 
so like you, having read Alan and Adrian's book, um, I was really struck by, uh, I think, EMI being really smart and, and making sure that wasn't a double album. It would not have been. But Yelko gets two albums, two double yes. albums. How does that happen? I don't, I don't know. I'm not responsible for that. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was a, a master stroke, uh, making that a hit and really setting him up so well. Yeah. Um, and I, I remind my fellow talkers um, of the <laughs> moment in 2018 at the White Album Conference when we met with uh, uh, Chris Thomas, okay. um, who shared his, his memories of making Back to the Egg, right? Oh. And, uh, you know, at a certain point, isn't it arguable that there are all these McCartney albums and Wings is certainly more of a band than, say, Plastic Ono Band, but still a kind of a concept? Yeah. You know, especially when you, you know, you pay your sidemen a flat salary, etc. cetera. Uh, in fact, we demonstrated uh, in our, our Fab Four Masterclass that they were only making a few bucks more than Neil and Mal. Uh, <laughs> just uh, for the record. Now, still not bad money in the early 70s. Um, and I'm sure they enjoyed other perks. Uh, when Denny got to take those flamingo lessons. I know that those, are very, those are very important. Oh, it's too bad he's not here. We could ask him about those. Um, but, uh, you know, having said all that, uh, it, it still is a, a kind of a concept for him, isn't it? The idea of wings is... Well, sure, it still is a concept, but again, it's... He's, <laughs> I don't think he's, he's causing a big thing. I think... You know, look, he causes that big stink to get McCartney released when he wants it released, right? Uh, EMI doesn't necessarily want him to release Give Ireland Back to the Irish, but he still wants it released, knowing it's probably going to get banned, okay? I still think that Paul McCartney, as a musician, as the next Beatle, can still maybe cause a stink and say, hey, look, I want this to, to, uh, to copy or, or copy or mirror what I'm doing right now with, with the rest of the members of, of my band. Yeah. You know, and I think he, he probably could have pulled it off. I think he could have pulled off. The but, right, he, he could definitely, but, but you might have a point, though, with the single album, with the double being uh, successful, and get that momentum going I mean, we to, know that, to release that job, not that is, you know, stand on the run of the bars. Yeah, right. Sure, and, and as Alan and Adrian pointed out, you know, you put a couple more buffs on that in 1973, and suddenly many fewer people are going to buy it. Right. Um, and it did set him up well, and it is interesting how he accepts it pretty easily. Very easily. Yeah, he's well, uh, um, and, and you mentioned the, the two Yoko albums. I mean, they're not expecting to make anything with those. You know, Paul McCartney is is a different kind of commercial model. Absolutely. Um, even today. <laughs> uh, that, that, right. Still interesting food for thought. And what that book, I think, does so well, right, the Alan and Adrian book, it shows us just how single-minded Paul is. You know, I think he probably would have had a lot more heartburn about Denny and Henry jumping ship if he weren't so focused on what he was trying to do at that point in that time in his career. It's pretty impressive. Yeah. Can I can I just say that it's it's easy. I know what it's like when you listen to the double album of Red Rose Speedway and say, God, I wish it really came out this way. But Red Rose Speedway still went to number one. Yeah. In the United States for three weeks, dethroned by George Harrison, <laughs> and uh, and Milo was a number one singer. And who knows? I mean, 
Little that die was waiting in the wings. No <laughs> you know, maybe that was, you know, that was supposed to be a summer hit. If you had a double album, would you have had more singles? Who knows? It still worked out for the better, but I do think that Paul all along wanted Wings to be recognized as a band. But he didn't stick up for himself in this instance. He had such a backlog of, of, of music, and he could have put a lot of that stuff out on another album as a double album if he wanted to. Yeah. Yeah. Or certainly another single album. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, Joe, what's, uh, what's your take? Oh, you asked for it. <laughs> no, no, I'm just, um, I like Redrow Speedway anyway as a double album. I like when, uh, and then, thanks a lot, Jerry, I appreciate that. I got to copy, <laughs> copy from it. I, I, I really wish it had come out that way. I understand why it didn't. But as such, it, it's never been a favorite album for me personally with Walls. Um, I do love the single. My Love and uh, Big Bar Band, which is more like the Duran everything. But yeah, Paul wanted to try to, to get a band together. I really, I really think that. Start off as a, a little band, like the Beatles kind of started out, and do that over again. And of course, we know that he was really trying to find the way to, to go. And then late in the year, 73, arguably 74, when it got most of its success, would come to Band on the Run. And you know that's why I, I think he really found his footing, so to speak. You know. So yeah, that's all I can say about that one. Okay. All right. So good, good question. Give up with the pub. <laughs> <laughs> now here's another way, folks. No more pubs. No more pubs. <laughs> now, now here's another wrinkle uh, that uh, that came up in '73 that there was another. Interesting. Is this from that pub again, though? No, no, no. no. This is not a pub. This I think not. we all have a right to know. This. No, no, no. This is not a pub question. Um, this is uh, this is another uh, wrinkle that came up. Another interesting release: the Red and Blue albums. Yeah, yeah. That uh, you know, and uh, that uh, we all uh, we all know. And uh, although it's kind of a generational thing, because uh, probably for. Tom and me, those don't figure into our uh, collection as much as my, my first album was really. Movie, yeah. You and Tom are that young. Yes. It's so you know seldom today that I can I can now say I'm a little younger. So I'm, I'm you know I try to use it when I can. Sorry, Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> Twenty Greatest Hits is what was my first Beatle yeah. album. I don't, I don't know about you, Tom. I did get the the You did? Okay. Yeah, because I, I didn't really. I think Tom had those on eight track. I don't <laughs> oh, oh, maybe you're the, the one. Here. Okay. All right. I'm on, I'm the outsider. All right. <laughs> but uh, so the red and the blue. Um, so, uh, you know, kind of to the whole panel here. Um, so how do you think this figured into the solo era? Do you think this, you know, had any impact on, you know, album sales? I mean, you know, the, here are the, you know, here are the, the Beatles, uh, the solo Beatles, you know, really taking off even more in their solo careers, getting number one hits, number one albums, and then here comes their past, you know, coming in. Uh, you know, what do you what do you think? What what impact did this have, if any? Well, you know, 
just real quick, obviously 1973 is dealers are selling a lot of units. And remember, there is uh, part of those dollars are share and share alike. Right. So, you know, it's kind of nice if Wings does well for John Lennon. Right. To a point when the taxes become overwhelming, as he said many times in, in the press. Um, but uh, you have to think that it was so competitive, of course, in popular music then and all the way through the early 80s when it was a war, right, to get to the top. Um, and, and many great records, which we consider classics, were barely top 40 hits. That's how good uh, that period was and how right and rife with music it was. So uh, going back to this then for a moment, if you're all these other artists and you're looking around and all of the Beatles are having top 10 albums and what top five hits that year and they're putting out two top five albums in the red and the blue records, that's pretty overwhelming in terms of the amount of units they're selling. Because at a certain point, there are only so many consumer dollars for Tom to buy those eight tracks with. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, those two albums, those set the pace for the year because those are the two first releases for that year. I mean, actually, it's what, early April? So here we are celebrating the 50th anniversary of those two releases. Those really set the pace. Ken, correct me if I'm wrong, would you consider that like the first you know, resurgence of, of the Beatles? I mean, here we go. There's nothing, I mean, it's still three years from the breakup. Well, I wouldn't say in the first few years of the 70s that there was very little interest in the Beatles because it was still fresh off the right, Beatles right. breakup. But definitely that did give the boost. And I think 1973, the, those two releases were so important because here in the United States, with the exception of something like the Hey Jude album, which was a compilation, we didn't have any Greatest Hits albums in the And for a lot of people who start out on Greatest Hits, that was their go-to start with the Red and the Blue albums. And they not only had hits on there, but they had album cuts on there. Right. Which you certainly had to do with the Blue album because the, the singles were thinning out um, by then. But um, yeah, definitely. And then that led to all the compilations that came out in the 70s. Is it, it true? Music. Is it true, Ken, that, that the Red and the Blue is a true Ken? <laughs> that the Red and the Blue were were really we might not have had any of those compilations yet, except they were trying to stem the tide of of a bootleg. Yeah, yeah. it's called uh, Alpha Omega. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. that's Greek to me. Yeah. <laughs> but I think in many ways, 1973. It's a good point to bring up the Red and the Blue albums. The success of the solo Beatles helped the sales of the Red and Blue albums, and likewise could work the other way. You know, before the Red and Blue came out, My Love, becoming a number one hit, here's Red River Speedway, it's a lot of people, a lot of young fans discovering Paul McCartney and the other solo Beatles that don't know the history. And I know that's very hard for some people to believe. I like to bring this up a lot, you know, as the radio person here. If you listen to Top 40 Radio, their audience, their demographic audience, is anything from little kids, usually to people in their 30s. There's a lot of little kids that grew up on Uncle Albert Admiral Halsey and Imagine and had no idea who these guys were. You know? And so they each got an audience of their own, as well as the Beatle fans in the past, buying their stuff. And so you've got new audiences discovering solo music. And then people are saying, hey, you know, Paul was in this band before Wings. And then they're buying the Red and the Blue. But at the same time, 
he discovered the Beatles stuff in 1973, and you're noticing, hey, these guys are also putting out solo stuff. At the same time, you're investigating that. So it really worked both ways. It really benefited both sides, the group and the solo. Joe, did you, um, you know, when did you end up getting the Red Bull album? Uh, I actually got them later on, to tell you the truth. I mean, I think I was uh, buying a lot of the, the American Capital albums around that time, you know, early, mid 70s. And then I got the Red and Blue later on. And, uh, you know, I, what did I know? You know, I mean, I, <laughs> later on, I heard John Lennon's talking about how bad Bentley it was mixed on food, trying to make it stereo. He said, and it didn't work, like the record version of Revolution uh, was turned into a piece of ice cream. Yeah, I never noticed anything like that. It sounded good to me. But, uh, you know, the, the selection of songs on there, it, it could help it. Uh, you know, you can't have a greatest hits of the Beatles. I said that all the time. Even the one album, right? It's all the number ones, right? But there's so many beautiful songs. you got to have the whole catalog. People ask me all the time when I do my channel, they say, what, what should I have if I want to get the Beatles' greatest hits? I tell them, get every album. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yes. But, but sometimes, you know, I'll say, yeah, well, the one album you could start with, then the red and the blue, but you know, damn well going to get everything else because you're missing a ton of great songs that weren't so called hits or the most popular tracks that people know that they weren't necessarily number one, but were on the red and the blue albums. But I think you know, these days, I just think it's, it's, it's great that that a compilation of red and blue songs, and the, the way they did the photos on the front and the back, the early Beatles, the late Beatles flipped around. That was that was ingenious. I, I love that. So yeah, but I got yeah later on. No, I I just got my filler, like fill in the collection, fill in the holes. I actually didn't get it when it first came out. You know what? Well, in our remaining uh, time together, in, in our true talk or talk fashion, uh, we want to throw this out to not only our panel, but to you guys. So 1973 obviously was a big year, uh, but was it the only significant year in solo Beatles history? So this is what we want to throw out is, are there other years that you think were really significant uh, in uh, solo history. Now, it doesn't have to be uh, where all four came out uh, with uh, releases on, because unfortunately, uh, there aren't that many choices. So it can be when Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh stick with the rules. That's our job. Um, but, uh, but it can be when, you know, three came out with them. So, I mean, we're, we're kind of... <laughs> Come on, yeah. Um, we're, we're, we're kind of broadening the rules here. So, uh, so are there other um, other? Okay, so John wants to. You want to start out? Yeah. I think 1970. Um, it might not be as crit critically or commercially successful as 1973, but look, I mean, you've got again five albums. Like 1973, you had. A big single and instant karma, not album single like you had with you know uh, Live and Let Die. Uh, you know you had number one songs. You had um, yeah, <laughs> you had Let It Be and Long Winding Road with Let It Be, and then you also had My Sweet Lord, and you capped it off with you know the arguably the, the best uh, solo record with uh, 
with plastic owner band. And you can also say that with, with all things most parents. I mean, we've got two top-notch, top-tier, top whatever you want to call it, albums, you know, closing out the year with uh, All Things Must Pass and, and Plastic Ono Band. Um, so I, I definitely would put 1970 as a close second to 1973. And uh, this, this goes out to Joe Mayo. Um, <laughs> one, because he's my favorite condiment. <laughs> <laughs> also because I agree with him that we need all four uh, to make this formula work. And uh, my year is 1979 into 1980, uh, and it's a sentimental choice because uh, young me was just so excited that I had fresh off Blow Away and what, uh, Good Night Tonight and Back to the Egg, and of course there are rumors there's going to be a John Lennon album, oh my god. And then my brother and I got to go to the mall, the Greenspoint Mall, uh, not that Greens Point, the one in Houston, and see, we got to see Caveman with Ringo. I mean, we were living in just Beatles heaven, and uh, and it felt like it would never stop, and of course, of course it does, but you know, it, we all have such an emotional and sentimentalized connection with the Beatles. For me, it's that, it was that year. Well, Ken, you forgot a favorite of yours, old Sam, sir. Yeah, he's right. I exactly. Favorite of mine too, as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're just a lot of deep cuts, uh, and on on the Harrison album too, and certainly uh, going into John Lennon, and, and we have Cartney too, and uh, even Wonderful Christmas Time. Wherever you are, Lewis, and I'm sorry, I love it. Unabashedly, here, here, That's my choice. You're good. <laughs> okay, Ken, what's your nomination? Well, there's a lot of great years, actually, but I will say there is something to be said about 1970 through 75 when John was still active, so he still had all four of them at the same time. But, I mean, 1970, definitely agree with you, Tom. So much great stuff. Just for all things must pass alone. What an amazing, you know, triple album set right there, and, and uh, you know, I mean, we're not, most of us are not big fans of Apple Jam, but the other two albums, <laughs> every song is fantastic. Right there. And to have Plastic and Old Band in there, the first McCartney album, two albums from Ringo, sensational, just in terms of output. But um, also 74 is great, 75 is great, the whole stretch of all the success of Wings, one album after another, going to number one. But I always like to point out 1976, because that was the Wings Over America tour, still is, in my heart, the greatest concert I ever went to. Seeing Wings and Madison Square Garden Stop in 1976. <laughs> um, Wings at the Speed of Sound, number one for seven weeks. Two major hits in there. The same year, Got to Get You Into My Life was a top ten single. That's released as rock and roll music. They were in the top ten at the same time. Paul McCartney and two different bands at the same time. You also have 33 and a third, which I think was a big bounce up from Extra Texture. Great album from George Harrison. It's the start of a, a bit of a downward turn for Ringo with Ringo's Road Reviewer, but I like a lot of the songs on there. So for the three solo albums plus the Wings Over America tour, um, I definitely would consider 76 there. There's one other year that I'm going to mention, and that is. Thanks to the guy with the flowers in the dirt shirt. 1989, because of both Paul and Ringo touring. Yeah. The same year, the first, the first year ever Ringo toured with the All-Stars. 
and Paul's first tour since really 79, but in the United States since 76. Tremendous year. And Flowers in the Dirt is my favorite McCartney album, and I think it's you know an amazing collection of songs. So those are ones that I pick. Okay. All right, Joe. Well, you didn't leave me much in. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, not too. No, uh, well, look, for me, it's, yeah, you hate to say it, but you know, the 70s, early 70s, 70 to 75, really, because I just like when all four Beatles are there, and, you know, they're, they're putting out work, and they're, yeah, just having good music, and maybe uh, touring, or some concerts around at the same time, and things like that. And for me, 71, you know, is is, is fantastic year. Uh, boy, yeah, everybody there with yeah, the concert for Bangladesh, Ringo and George there, right? And then you had, of course, I mentioned earlier about the Imagine album from John. It's fantastic. The Ram album, I still can't believe how in the world the critics savaged that yeah. back in the right. day. Collusion. <laughs> <laughs> and didn't Ringo claim that he didn't even think there was one good song on it? I think he said something yeah. like that effect. And now it's my favorite all album. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so um, you, you had all the Ringo up with, with, it, with the Don't Come Easy. It was still my favorite Ringo Starr track. I mean, even with the Beatles or without the Beatles, it Don't Come Easy is my favorite Ringo Starr song. It's one, really. And uh, yeah, I remember growing up uh, as a kid, sitting on my stoop, being like nine years old, listening to Uncle Howard. Perfect song for a nine year old. Yeah. You know, uh, it just, to this day, reminds me of those wonderful times. And, uh, you know, what it was like to be young and hear something that's child-friendly, but also kind of beatle in a way. Uncle Albert is a favorite of mine. That was my pick when we did our show on the uh, number ones for the solo, you know, what did we think was number one. It was it was close. The photograph was right there. And so, you know, I couldn't pick, but yeah. 71, but all, all that whole period. A lot of times people say to me when, when they talk about Beatles, oh, well, you know, the early days and everything, and those are the only ones that were good, but we won't get into that here. I, I agree with you. There's so much good stuff some people don't even tap into. Mm -hmm. But uh, they say, oh, well, the early 70s, that was it. But they're not wrong that it's really a lot of the greatest stuff in that period, but it's not the only great stuff. Check out more. Absolutely. Absolutely. Including up to present time, aren't you free? How about you guys? Any uh, any nominations? Yes. How about 2021? You have Get Back, the film. You have, you know, All Things Must Pass box set. You know, you have the lyrics book. Wasn't that 2021? So what do you think was the best year in terms of, like, Beatles and reissues? Because we're living in the age of the archive. It's a different game. 2018, I think. Mm -hmm. um, you got uh, what wildlife from Nervo Speedway. We got the uh, we got a Lennon box set then too. We got Egypt Station uh, as well. I mean, the, the the last four months of that year uh, was was madness with uh, the Lennon box set, Egypt Station, uh, the you know the the two McCartney uh, box sets, and I think uh, there was a George release in there too. Was that was that the uh, was that the um, that wasn't the year that no, Google Box was. No, it wasn't the crate year, was it? No, <laughs> 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 uh, that was yeah, right. I had to eat dog food yeah. for a month. <laughs> 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 
Well, the should have gnomes. I mean, it's dog food gnomes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> as much as I love the archival box sets, I care more about the new releases, right. so I tend to think in terms of those years. I might not remember the years of the archival box sets as they come out. But I love those too. I think it was the Ringo uh, release, the Zoom In, actually, I think that year too. Something. We have a Ringo release. Yes. Okay, we have a couple others. Yeah. Question here. Uh, it's more of an era thing than it is an actual year. I believe '94 was when the anthologies all came out. They came out like the end of '93 and '94. I can't forget the two came out. So that was a huge year for me. And then right on top of that was playing the Fire. Yeah. So I mean that was huge. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, fun time. Absolutely. Okay. I have a question since we, the pros are up there. Oh, stop. In, 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 in <laughs> 71, I agree with Joe that I think Don't Come Easy is, is one of the best songs ever. And I know Ringo has the songwriting credit, but did George write that song? <laughs> did you set him up? <laughs> There's no doubt about it that George Harrison had a big part in Don't Come Easy. He's got his fingerprints all over the song, he produced it, he played guitar on it. The opening, the intro sounds exactly like uh, what he did in Badge with Cream. But I also believe that you got to go by what the Beatles have said. Because nobody knows their own songs other than the songwriters themselves. And Ringo did say on stage that George wrote a verse and a bridge. So the rest probably came from Ringo. So it's mainly, and also if you follow through the years, Ringo has said he's good at starting songs, he needs help finishing them. So basically, I can certainly hear him saying, got to pay dues if you want to sing the blues. That probably came from him, and he, he wrote a good, substantial part of it. But I do not believe that George wrote the entire song, which a lot of people are saying on YouTube, because they don't believe that Ringo is capable of writing anything that good, but I think that he co-wrote it. I just thought maybe he was paying Ringo back for Maureen. What's your territory? Well, it hadn't happened yet. But thank you. Was he pre-paying? Oh, boy. Well, on that note... Back to the pub? Back to the pub. Back to the pub, that's right. Um, well, we are celebrating our fifth year, believe it or not, on the air. Well, we couldn't do it without you, and uh, and to thank you, we have fifth year anniversary buttons. Uh, and these are these are brand new, so before you leave. Come on up and uh, take a button and uh, to thank you for all of your support. Uh, this uh, We are recording this, so this episode will be up uh, hopefully sometime next week. Thank you so much for joining us for this very special uh, edition of...